0: Welcome to Finance for Physicians, a show where we empower physicians like you to practice medicine the way you always dreamed you would. This podcast features doctors, physicians, and experts that share one main thing in common. We believe having control of our finances leads to having control of our lives. In a world where doctors' lives are often dictated by our needs to maximize income, pay back massive student loans, and buy homes, many of us give up reaching those goals. But it doesn't have to be this way. If you are ready to learn how financial wellness creates happier doctors and patients, then I'm your guy. I'm your host and financial expert, Daniel Rinn. Let's get started hey guys, hope you're having a great day. The past few shows we've been talking about using money as a tool to improve your family life. We've talked about things like managing money as a couple, we've talked about using frugality to make progress, we've talked about balancing the demands of being a physician and a dad, and we've talked about how to live more regret-free lives. The theme, which I'm sure you've noticed, is really about living life first and using money as a tool to help really facilitate this. I think this is such an important topic, especially with the cultural pulls that we're all feeling going the complete opposite direction towards materialism and more money is always better you have to be intentional about this stuff like you really have to carve out the space to be able to think about it this way where what's most important to you is the focus and you're using money as a tool to help make progress towards this so today we're going to be digging into this topic a bit further and in particular talking about how you can start to teach your children about this specific topic and using money as a tool to improve their lives so it's an important topic as it is but especially with our our children being our future. This is just this is a big deal. And as parents, it's a tricky topic to bring up. So maybe we aren't confident in our personal finance knowledge yet, or maybe we've made mistakes, or maybe we just feel like it's such an uncomfortable topic. We don't know how to bring it up. I think our guest today is going to be a great resource to help get you started in talking about this and talking about it in the right way. Our guest today is an author an entrepreneur and a real estate investor has been investing for a really long time. Since he was 11 years old, actually, which is, he's one of the first people I've talked to that started investing before I did. I don't know how you started investing at 11 years old. He had to have had an adult involved, but anyway, he has two boys himself, 10 year old Noah and 13 year old will, and they were part of the motivation behind his writing this book called the golden quest, the fun way to learn about money. And so he really has been leaning into this area of helping children to learn about money. And in particular, how to focus on what's most important to them first and shape their money around that. So our guest today is David Delisle. And so we had a great conversation about why it's so important to teach our kids about money. And we talk about some examples of how you can get started doing it today. And he shares why his book is such a great resource for helping us to get started now. I definitely enjoyed our conversation and I think you are too. So let's jump in without further ado. David, nice to be with you today. Thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to be here and talk about money.
0: Yeah. It's like two of my favorite topics together. We're going to be talking about today. We're talking about money, of course, and then parenting and raising your kids. So those are, those are, I think two super important topics. We're going to be talking about the two of them together and how we can better teach our children about money. David is in a unique spot. I think his parents motivated to help our kids. I mean, that's just an eight thing, but David has kind of taken this thing to the next level and has been really leaning in on how he can better teach his children about money. And he has even recently released a book about how to teach your children about money. So maybe before we start to go down that road. David, can you share a little bit about what got you going down this path of like really leaning into how we teach our children about money?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. For me, so I was that money nerd that was reading books when I was like 11 and getting excited about it. So I remember doing all those things back in the day, we didn't have index funds. So you'd read about different fund advisors and who was writing different mutual funds, all the real nerdy stuff. And then as my boys were getting older, I just started thinking about what type of values do I want to pass on to them? What do I want to teach? And a lot of the lessons were around money because my views on money over the years, they've evolved, are fairly unique. And then in doing that, I, I started just creating this, this book of ideas that I want to pass on to them. And then it just evolved, it evolved into a graphic novel, which is so fun because that's what kids are reading these days. They love their comics. Mm-hmm. I thought, how can I make this fun? distill all that information to what are the key messages that are really important that even for an adult if you get this money's not going to be something that you stress over or worry about for the rest of your life
0: yeah my sons are reading the graphic novels they're definitely super popular nowadays and it makes sense because they're very visual and you know stories and some of them even have like little short stories within Stories, so it's an entertaining way to do things, and I want to talk about it in a little bit and circle back to this. But uh, you know how you actually were able to do that while also teaching about money—that's something I'm thinking about. But before we get into that, like you said, there were some unique things about you and money. Uh, can we talk about that first? What's unique about how you view money?
1: So the big one is I've always seen money as a tool and a means to an end. I never thought of money as how many things I could buy. What the money can do for me and thought of it in terms of freedom and retirement, even at a young age. I didn't use those words necessarily, but I saw it as a means to an end in that sense. And then what I really discovered, especially in writing more and talking to more parents, is, and we briefly talked about this, this idea of money, almost all of our conversations around it are how do I have more money? Whether it's from the saving end or the spending end or the earning end, everyone's goal is how to have more. And not that there's anything wrong with having more, but I find it distracts us from the first lesson, which we should all be having, is why you want more in the first place. What really lights you up? And in the book, I refer to it as the awesome stuff. What's your awesome stuff? And what I found is if you don't really have a clear understanding of why you want the money and what really what's important to you, and the only re- thing you know about is how to have more, it doesn't matter what plateau you hit, you're always looking at the next plateau. And so you never have enough. So this whole idea of what's your awesome stuff, the mindset piece around that I find is sort of key to really not have money be this massive stress in your life and you're constantly chasing.
0: Yeah. If the end goal is money, money in itself brings zero happiness. Of course, you can use it as a tool to improve life, but more money in itself does not change anything really. And in some cases it can make life worse. Well, first of all, we're not necessarily doing a great job in my opinion of teaching our children about money, but probably even more important is we're not doing a great job of teaching our children about mindset or even values and even purpose and what's most important. And I think we could do six podcasts on that by the way, but you've kind of bundled this all up. That's the direction I have gone to with money is I I think it's such a intertwined vehicle that. if you're using it right, you're using it more as like a catalyst to other areas of life. But you have to get that life part first as the priority and and really work on defining that. And I think that's a good foundation. But did you have this mindset or mentality, like, as a child, even
1: a little bit as a child, it's interesting, though, that it's definitely evolved, like, even in the writing the book and talking about this more, I've noticed more and more how much money stays in the background and things have less value for me because Mm -hmm. i'm talking about it all the time i'm talking about what's really important and what lights you up and what's your awesome stuff and Mm -hmm. so more and more i I, those things have less value so i had it a bit as a kid but definitely it's grown and that's why i love is, is this whole thing the journey and it there's no judgment in it so if your awesome stuff is expensive cars or expensive food or vacations or watches it doesn't really matter what it is that lights you up it's just really knowing does it really light you up Mm. because it's the chase that i'm trying to stop so as you are mentioning, like the money in itself what people don't realize is there is no end to the chase and all, all we have to do is look at our athletes and our stars and our billionaires those people that are still chasing because there is no end to the chase unless they figure out what's really important to them. It doesn't matter how much money there is. If you're still thinking of money as the goal, you'll never have enough because there's always more you can have.
0: Right. It also makes you lean heavily towards, well, I guess it depends on your lean, but me personally, if I go all in on money as the priority, I'm going to just die like a rich old man. That's how, because I'm a saver. I grew up as like with the scarcity mentality of have to be, having resources so that life's not stressful and whatnot. But if you just keep doing that over and over again, you never use any of your money and you die a rich old man and nobody wants to do that. So I wasn't as lucky as you to have that mentality early on. In fact, the other day I was looking at my goal setting from early in my career, which is super interesting because it was like first goal net worth, blah, blah, blah and make income blah 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 they were all straight up money goals and then i remember i had one on there that was like in a couple years need to focus on like spirituality and relationships (laughs) which was (laughs) it was like the classic backwards money was the primary goal but i had to kind of learn through experiences that that doesn't provide much or any happiness but with children i think that's the optimal time to start with this how do you teach kids that mindset how do you Start early. So, so this is what's so amazing,
1: and to be honest, this is—I mean, I love the money stuff, as I mentioned, and I creating money and the habits to create money. But it's this conversation that we're having right now about the awesome stuff and what really is important to you that is the reason why I'm doing this at all. That's really what I'm passionate about because it is so incredibly easy when you start talking about it. So, when I talk about the awesome stuff, the awesome stuff, like you talk to a young child. It's the same as talking to an adult. If I ask you what your awesome stuff is for a kid, a lot of people just start thinking about what I want to buy next, and they get excited and think of all these big things. And that is some of it. But if I push you a little bit more, it's not that there's a judgment around it, but those things like when you're really thinking about what your awesome stuff is, you can feel in your entire body. You can't stop smiling or talking about it or getting excited about it. So same with a child. As parents, they might love Lego or stuffies or you know, their bike, we all know our kids have certain things they love, but also we know as parents, if we're out on a vacation and we forget something at the hotel, they're going to be devastated depending on what it is. If they lost something on a trip or it got destroyed, those few items that we all know all of our kids have, that is the make or break for them. And that's their awesome stuff. The rest doesn't really matter, but if there's a fire, you're grabbing that thing because they're going to freak out if you don't or if they out lost. And it's sort of the same as adults. Just getting aware of what that awesome stuff is. And this is where it gets really fun as a parent. Because then if you're in a grocery store and they're pleading for a chocolate bar or you're at a fair and they want an ice cream, rather than telling them yes or no or trying to explain we don't have the money or getting in an argument with them as parents, which we tend to do, just ask them, is that your awesome stuff? And having the child stop, reflect, and look at that item and just ask themselves, is this the thing that I love? And then after that, it doesn't really matter if they say yes or no. That's not important. The fact that they paused and reflected and really thought, do I even care about this thing? That happens even with a five-year-old. And then that same conversation continues for the rest of their lives. And so now they're hyper-focused on what really brings in happiness and what they really love yeah. rather than what they want in the moment.
0: Yeah. This past weekend I think about a money experience with my kids. My oldest son, he's nine, and he wanted to have a job to earn money, which I think is fantastic. And so I was doing some pressure washing and I'm like, Oh, you're old enough to do that. Pressure wash the sidewalk and then, you know, ten bucks is what we decided. So he pressure washed the sidewalk for ten bucks. And then the middle son is like, I wanna do it too and I'm like, Okay, here's another one for you, five dollars and so they both did the jobs and did a good job with it and later on that day they have their $15 and they're like, we want to go to the store. And my oldest is like, I want to go buy Pokemon cards. Cause he's really into Pokemon cards. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, let's see if we have the time. And we ended up having the time we went to the store and then the middle son is like, I want to buy Pokemon cards because the older son wanted to buy Pokemon cards. And then the youngest son fell in suit with them and wanted to buy Pokemon cards because my oldest son wants to buy Pokemon cards. And then all the kids wanna buy Pokemon cards because of it. So I think there's a lot of money dynamics going on there. I probably missed some of them, but I ended up letting them choose to spend all their money that they earned on Pokemons. Was that a good parenting move?
1: (laughs) Um, No, I was listening to that exactly. That's the whole thing. Let the kids do what they want. There's too much judgment and money already. But if the conversation was around the awesome stuff, they start reflecting, because that's where I find my 13-year-old, for sure, all the outside influence of what everyone's doing drives what he wants to buy and what he wants to do, where he spends his money. So if they don't sit on really what is important to them, they'll do, do that. Oh, my older brother's into these Pokemon cards. Everyone's into it, so I should be into it. Right. And he like one might really be into it.
0: I think the oldest, it was his awesome stuff. And then the two younger ones were just following his awesome stuff
1: and that's the thing so it's not that pokemon cards are bad for the youngest ones if this isn't something that's their awesome stuff what else could they be buying instead mm. or spending that on that really makes them excited because now they spent it so in the moment they were excited they spent it there's just like their their older brother and they're hanging in there mm-hmm. but then a week later when you realize that- these things are scattered around their bedroom. They don't even care about them. That waste, it's that reflection yeah. of, is this your awesome stuff? And that's the thing, is that same conversation, it's Pokemon cards from the five-year-old, but for the 30-year-olds or the 40-year-old or 50-year-old, we can easily come up with a very similar conversation of those things and look through closets and well, buy how 30-year-olds
0: are buying Pokemon cards.
1: Well, <laughs> that's true, but maybe it's their awesome stuff.
0: I know, maybe. <laughs> or maybe they're trying to make a living.
1: But that idea of just, if you look around... Just that awareness, you'll start realizing how much stuff you have that doesn't bring you happiness. And that's what I found even in having these conversations more and more. That's what you're asking. As an 11-year-old, to some degree, I had that. But it constantly is evolving and changing. And that's the thing. It will evolve and change. But as you notice more and more of those things that don't really bring you happiness, you start realizing what does. A classic example would be like a parents. like you know, Most important thing to me is spending time with my children whether that's true or not, but you'll hear that often. But then you look at the lifestyle and the choices and all the decisions they're making and everything's the exact opposite of that because it's creating less time with their children because to fund that lifestyle and the work that's required, they have zero time with their children. So again, it's just this refocus of what really is important to you. And it doesn't matter if time with your children is more important or work is important or the lifestyle. It's knowing what is most important so then you start gearing more towards that and not just working on autopilot and just agreeing i have to do this and i should do this and this is what everyone else is doing those shoulds and have tos are like the worst parts as soon as we start saying that in our head or to anyone we're down a path that we want to try to pull back
0: from as a financial planner our number one question people will ask i just met you how much should i spend on my house it is a common question i'm like i have no idea it depends any good financial planner will tell you it depends to every answer if they don't know you, because that is the, the honest, true answer. Really, it depends on what's most important to you. That's how my view is of financial planning. Now, some people might say it depends if you're financially independent or blah, 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 but I think it depends on what's most important to you. It sounds like you're helping to get your children or the intent behind the book is helping to get parents in this routine of bringing up these conversations and in the routine of thinking about happiness first money as a tool right?
1: Exactly. Building on those habits. The goal is if, if you had the right mindset and the right habits, mm-hmm. money then fades in the background. So rather than being constantly aware of your finances and thinking about your finances or thinking about money and stressing over money, it fades into the background because the habits of investing and saving, systemize those so you're not mm-hmm. thinking about it. The habits of you know consuming, systemize those in the sense of you're just in the habit of always looking at what brings you happiness rather than what you can buy. All of a sudden, you're living a life that isn't so focused on what can I buy next. I bring this up a lot because really what they're asking is how much can I afford in a house? That's really what they're asking. Not mm-hmm. what should I spend or how much of a house. How much can I afford? Because what happens is their lifestyle grows to whatever money they have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So same with the home. So if I had more money, my house would be more expensive. And then if I get a raise and get even more money, then my house will expand again. Yeah. And that's what happens. We grow into whatever we have.
0: Same as my kid. He spent all the money he earned on Pokemon.
1: (laughs) Exactly. exactly And that's why why these lessons work for a five-year-old. They translate to adulthood. If we're constantly expanding to what we can afford, that's why we don't have anything left over and we're just chasing. It doesn't matter what you achieve. I mentioned the semi part because there is... There's always more to have or that you'd want. If I had more, I'd buy something bigger. And it's the same with everything, including homes. So without first really realizing what's important to you, you just automatically fall into that lifestyle inflation. And what I'm trying to do is avoid some of that lifestyle inflation because if the question wasn't, how much can I afford in my house, which is really the back question of what's underlying that statement, but what could I use this money for instead? Instead of buying that expensive house, Would you like to retire 10 years earlier would you like to travel more would you like to you know spend more on your parents and then all of a sudden now we're having a different conversation
0: same thing with my son instead of saying how many pokemon cards can i buy with my 10 bucks or whatever it's more like by spending ten dollars on pokemon what did you miss opportunity on what did you say no to by saying yes to that what are alternatives you could have spent money on and is that in line more so with what's most important to you. Same thing as the house is the Pokemon cards.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's why it's so fun because as you're having these conversations with your kids, in a way you're actually having them with yourself and then you're starting to reflect on, hey, I might not be into Pokemon cards, but where am I spending money where mm-hmm. it's not returning value? What's really important to me is traveling with my family. Okay, what am I doing to make that a priority?
0: Right. Or time with your kids, like you said, is my calendar in alignment with my values? The book is called The Golden Quest, The Fun Way to Learn About Money. And I mentioned this earlier, the fact that it's a graphic novel. And I feel like that is got to be, I am not a gifted writer, but I feel like The biggest challenge for me seems like it would be making this be an interesting story while also sprinkling these money lessons that maybe not everybody's like money geeks like us that wants to learn about it. How are you able to sprinkle in money lessons into a story and potentially for an audience that has zero interest in money?
1: Yeah. What you have to do is get really clear on your message Mm -hmm. and simplify it because there's no room to really expand on it. Because if you think of like your typical comic, you've got those little balloon text messages that you can only put so much in there. So it's not written like a novel or a book. It's written as a story, and it's very conversational. So basically, a young boy goes on a quest, and on this quest, he meets different mentors that teach him these different lessons. And so it becomes conversational. So even with this idea about the awesome stuff we're talking about, the lessons about the awesome stuff, and the boy immediately starts laughing and talks about how everything he has is awesome and what's he even talking about so then there's a bit of a banter back and forth of like okay well let's think of your room and all the stuff in your room and what's the stuff that you love the most and then the boy focuses on that and he's like that's your awesome stuff and it's sort of like this aha moment of the boy realizing like all those things didn't matter but this one thing did but it's very conversational without this long discussion of me talking about what do you feel on the body and what is this? And here's some examples like you can't talk about all that stuff in the book and just really simplify it. And I try to as well, sprinkle in nuggets. So like on a second or third or fourth reading, you, every time you read it, you'll pick up something new. And that's the thing is it's, you don't have to know everything about money or everything in the book the first time through. Just if you pick up a little tidbit or a little hint that'll just, help guide in the way you think about it and your perspective or some habits, then it's a win.
0: Yeah, I found if you can keep their interest in a book, that is half the battle. And I think if it's a book about money, I mean, that's a huge win. Because I think as parents, a lot of us don't exactly know how to bring up topics that are like money's taboo or maybe we're like I have not done so well myself and like I'm not a money expert there's all these like reasons we come up with that we're not going to bring up money with our kids and so we just be on the back burner meaning that the kids get pushed by the culture in whatever direction the culture pushes them so this book is a great way to kind of insert in the topic and get the conversations going that we all, I mean, most people agree this is a super important topic. It's like one of the most important topics.
1: It's crazy. I I like that you used the word taboo because that's exactly it. Like we'll talk about sex before we talk about money Mm -hmm. and how much we earn and what our savings Mm -hmm. is and how much we spent on our, you know, our home. And that's what's so crazy. When we talk about kids and, and just teach them about money, really the first thing I tell parents, which is so easy, is again, just having these conversations. And they don't have to be big conversations about, how to spend or investing or the stock market, it can be as simple as, this is how much this costs. No judgment in it, but you're going to fill your car up with gas, this is how much the gas costs today. You're going to buy groceries, this is how much the groceries cost. And those conversations can obviously change depending on the age of your child, but just that awareness of what things cost and what you're spending, that's huge. Like There's no way we can teach the value of money if they don't know how much things
0: cost. Right. We had a lot of money conversations this weekend for some reason, I guess, cause we we're earning it and spending it. But my middle son was like, he was asking how much this truck cost. It was a really, really nice brand new truck. And I'm like, it's probably $70,000. And he's like, what? And then I'm like, but guess what? You know how much daddy's car costs? And he's like, no, I'm like $4,000. <laughs> Which one would you want to drive? And he's like, I'll take the $4,000 one. This son would. But I think that's just a great little tiny nugget of information to have you could feel that tinge of like do i really want to talk about this topic with my kids i mean that's the cultural pull is like just we don't talk about this stuff
1: yeah and that's the thing is it's it's because there's so much judgment around it and so when i try to have these conversations with my my kids i try to tell them like there's no right or wrong or if i'm buying something it's not to make you feel guilty for how much is being spent and don't go telling your friends necessarily like oh this is how much we spent on this and this is how much this cost it's just for information for you so you know what things cost because mm. as parents were like they didn't even appreciate like we you know i just came back from disneyland and you'd be like they didn't even appreciate it. we spent <laughs> this much money uh, a lot <laughs> but they don't know how much money you spent like that's the thing is if we don't tell them how much things cost how can they recognize that there was expensive like if we take them to one meal or another like Eat all your burger. Like they don't know that that burger costs, you know, 30 bucks here and five bucks there, like, unless we have those conversations. Mm-hmm. And then the beauty of those conversations, like you just mentioned with your son, like you'd, you might not even realize how simple it was, but in just yeah. telling him how much the expensive truck cost that he loved in your, your car without any judgment, all of a sudden in his mind, now there's a comparison. And that comparison now gives him a choice because before that, hands down, he'd like I want that big, tr- like that fancy truck. Why would you not want that? It'd be but no now, problem. now you've given him enough information that now he might still want it, but it's changed the conversation in his own head mm. of what's important to him.
0: Well, he's like, I could buy seventy thousand Pokemon cards with the difference,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? And that's exactly it. And that's what we need to do as adults as well. What could you buy with the difference? Because if you're just looking at fancy objects. And thinking like i like that i like that i like that we all like those things but what do you really love because there's a cost to everything and same with the truck you get that truck does that mean do you have enough room in your driveway or do you have to get rid of your other vehicle mm-hmm. or can you get two is two trucks better than one is three trucks better like as soon as you start recognizing the cost and the opportunity cost and what else you can be doing like you said seventy thousand pokemon cards that changes the conversation and that's what mm-hmm. we need to do is just no judgment but change the conversation because if we don't change it we're just going to be led by this consumer culture where there is no end and that's the thing is if if i knew there was an end if me as a financial advisor could give you enough good advice that you would reach the end and have enough money that you can buy all those things and your life would be complete i'd be having a different conversation i'd be pushing for that but the reality is there, there isn't. There is not an end if that's the path you're going down.
0: Yeah, there it's a never-ending. It's like the rat race. I'm curious. So we talked about like spending and the lifestyle creep and cultural pulls. And I'm curious how you, I know you intertwined the concepts of saving and giving. You can either spend your money, give it away, or, or save it. I know you inter, intertwined the saving and giving components. I feel like, at least when I've had conversations with my kids, sometimes those are harder. They always want to get the Pokemon cards, basically, you know what I'm saying? So it's always not always, but like, that is very strong pull. So I'm curious how you intertwine these other components of giving and saving and balancing in living in the now. Yeah.
1: So that was a tricky concept for me, because you mentioned you grew up with a scarcity mindset. I did as well. Like I always felt like, you know, there's this money, if I give it away, or if I don't have it, then I'm going to struggle, I have less. And so this is a tricky concept, but there's a lot of research around giving. All of us know that giving is a good thing to do and it's a generous thing to do. But paired with that, there is research and science showing that the more you give, the more it comes back to you. Some of it's intangible, but it can be financial as well. So there's this real reciprocation of giving and becoming richer. And so I really want to... Try to figure out a way to show that or play with that for kids. And I love that you mentioned this idea of the giving and like the, they want the, the, the Pokemon cards because that's the same conversation that happens in the book. The kid's like, if you give your money, you, you'll have less. Like that's just the nature of giving. You give and you'll have less. But the whole chapter of the story is around having more by giving. And so they start showing how like just the act of giving and all of a sudden, they felt richer. And then as they felt richer, the people they helped, they became richer. And then those people helped them. And then basically it shows how this simple act of giving in the small town mm. reciprocated and flourished where everyone started becoming richer and it came back. And the person who gave initially, their business grew, and the people coming to them grew and their orders grew. And also they had more money than they knew what to do with. So they gave more of it away. And it just sort of shows a version of, how that simple act of giving can reciprocate and come back and it's not always a net zero in giving and all of a sudden nothing comes back.
0: Yeah. I agree with the giving, like you said, the research around it. I think I've seen some stuff that says like giving has the best return on investment, like as far as happiness of anything you can do with your money, which is super interesting because it's like as a financial planner in our day job, we tend to kind of really try to carve out savings. We're always talking about, you got to save for retirement, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about as an industry, you financial advisors and planners are always talking about saving for retirement. But like, if you really are looking at it, like how can I help people improve happiness, then really we should be talking about giving first. Same thing for our kids. If we buy into this like research that says giving has the best return on happiness of anything you could possibly do, then we should really be prioritizing that first and then savings I personally think those two things are delayed gratification kind of things like giving doesn't return immediately or sometimes you just takes a while and it's just like delayed gratification thing is the way I look at it same as savings so you kind of have to just like carve them out and like call it a day and you know buy into the long long long-term compounding of delayed gratification that's how I've viewed it and I've tried to teach my kids, I'm like 10% or something. You know, I'm like X percent, get it out and it will serve you well in your future. But maybe there's a better way to do it, I don't know.
1: I mean, it was no right or wrong. I mean, it's just amazing, it always makes it easier. Just being aware that there is power to giving mm-hmm. that will come back. And it's neat, like a good example, I just mentioned we were just on this trip and we we're in Disneyland and when we walked into the park, I think it was like Mickey and Minnie's birthday or something. So we got this free pin. And like by, especially my thirteen year old, like he loves collecting and having stuff, and he's constantly just gathering things. So he's got his pin, and he he likes his pin. But later in the day, there's an older lady just asking someone else about this pin and where they got it and about it and how because she she didn't have this pin. And my son just saw that, walked up, and just said, "Hey, you can have one." Just gave him her pin or his pin, which the simple act of giving cost him nothing. It wasn't a financial, but it's just I love that he just saw that and did that. But then it's, I didn't really. Mention it to him when it happened later, but this whole idea of coming back the next day—he was just in line up for a ride, just sitting there, looking around, and he noticed this pin just discarded in the the plants. It was the same pin. He grabbed it all of like he got his pin back that he'd just given away the previous day, and it just—it was that fast. It came back, and it's noticing some of those things. There is a lot of that. Like once you start doing things like that, you will notice your business growing or someone coming to you or something coming in the mail. or just mm. There is a real interesting, energetic reciprocation to that act of giving. And again, in the book, what I really try to do with money is have zero judgment. So I've mentioned that a few times because we judge so much with money. And these are all just ideas to just a slight, just the awareness of, hey, there might be another way. This might be a thing. So I'm not telling kids you have to give. I'm just saying giving can create more wealth and this is mm. an example of how that can be. Whether or not they wanna do that, it's up to them. I Obviously, I'd love that they start giving more, but this is just showing just, again, that conversation we're not having with kids or adults or anybody, just having a conversation around money and showing that this is a thing. To me, that's my goal of the book, is just mm. awareness of here's some alternatives, here's another way of thinking about it. It doesn't have to be all you've heard from the media.
0: Right, yeah. I think that's why it's so good. And I like the way you worded money mindfulness. I think that's just a good way to this concept you talk about in the book. It's like helping to improve our kids' mindset and view of money is, that's where the needle is moved. We can teach them about like interest and rate of return and all those kinds of things. And those are important too, but helping them to realize money is a tool and to help them live a happier life. And it's not all about the pursuit of more. I mean, I think that's a super valuable thing because the culture is going to be pushing them the other way. Yes.
1: I mean, it's accelerating in that direction. Like the metaverse itself is accelerating in that direction because that's an area where we take everything that we're used to in the physical world, we take it digitally and then assign values to it. So your digital shirt, your digital hat, your digital shoes, we know how much those are worth and how rare they are. And so everybody's trying to spend in this digital world where the thing doesn't even have physical a physical value. value. I mean, more people like these games that kids are playing now, they don't spend money on the game. They don't spend money on the characters to make them stronger or better. They spend money on how the characters look. That's the business model. We're moving into a crazy world where we need at least a little bit of pushback against you know, these things that don't actually have any physical value. It's all about perception and that's the value.
0: Yeah. So the book, once again, it's called The Golden Quest, The Fun Way to Learn About Money. And I would encourage it. Everyone with children, I think, is such a good thing. There's so few books, I think, that are written on exploring money with your kids. And I think anyone that has children should give this topic and try this book out and explore it. And especially someone like me, like I got boys that already read graphic novels. That's like a home run. They're already kind of doing their thing there. And and they're going to be like, oh, no, not another day. Cause I sit them down and have a <laughs> spreadsheet conversation about money. And that's not usually the most productive. Cause they start getting bored real quick. And unless they're just total money geeks, like us as a kid, I probably would have liked somebody to sit me down and show me the spreadsheet and return on investment, blah, 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 blah. But most kids are just, you know, trying to have a good time and like be around their friends and that kind of thing. I love it that you're like leaning into what's most important to them in the fact that the way that you wrote this book, even.
1: For sure. Yeah. And that's exactly it. Cause it's rare to find a money nerd. Most people at any age don't want to talk about this stuff. So I try to make it ex- as simple as I could. And I mean, it's great for younger kids, five to 12 is really a target demographic, but even I'd love to see this for high school grads or kids just going off to college. It's a great way to just remind yourself of these simple habits and then incorporate them into your life and in a fun way. So even if you don't like the spreadsheets, which of the people don't. Hmm. This is a good way to just get these concepts in an easy way. So yeah, um, that's exactly what I was trying to do.
0: Yeah, I love it. Well, David, as we wrap up, um, any other uh, resources or suggestions? I guess maybe where can people find you, first of all, and any other suggestions or resources for parents?
1: Yeah, so you can buy the book on Amazon. It's called The Golden Quest. Uh, My website, you can buy it directly as well. It's theawesomestuff.com. I build everything around this concept of what is your awesome stuff and only buying the awesome stuff. So the stuff.com as well. I'm on TikTok and Instagram under that same handle, the awesome stuff. And I'm right now in the process of putting together a conference for families next year, end of next year, about this time next year, where you could come with your kids and your grandparents and learn in this experiential event just these basic concepts and start having these conversations because that's really all it's about is starting the conversations. It doesn't have to be heavy. It doesn't have to include math. It doesn't have to include spreadsheets. Just awareness and having these conversations. That's all we need to start
0: doing. That sounds interesting. A conference to talk about money with an intergenerational.
1: Yeah, no, I'm super excited about that. We're still in the early stages. That definitely doesn't exist. Yeah, no, it doesn't exist at all. And I love the idea that we want to create it as a game. So each family gets... A set amount of money, and then plays this game. But you're not playing amongst each other. You're playing as a family amongst other families. So then you're going to have that conversation. Like your three boys, they're going to be arguing about like how to spend the money. Then you're going to be there. Then maybe your parents will also be there. So just having <laughs> seeing all these values sort of collide and just it mm. forces some of these conversations. Why should we be doing this instead of this? I'm super excited about that.
0: I love it. Yeah. Well, David, thanks for joining me today and coming on. I love talking about this topic. We could talk about it for hours and hours, I'm sure, in days and days. But I appreciate you chatting with me about it today.
1: For sure. No, I love being on here. And like the same, I love these conversations. And this is a passion of mine. This is why
0: I'm here. Just because I'm wanting to get this message out and have people just have these conversations. Well, I appreciate your work. You've been listening to Finance for Physicians. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast player. On this show, we believe that when you prioritize your finances, you take better care of yourself, have more fulfilling relationships with your families, and most importantly, provide higher quality care for your patients. If you feel this way too and want to learn more, then make sure to join our community. Follow the Finance for Physicians Facebook group for bonus content and sneak peeks on next week's episode. Thanks for listening.